listener, and welcome to A History of the World According to War. I'm Brett. Hello, Brett, and welcome everyone to another episode. Today, we're diving into the end of the Peloponnesian War, a pivotal moment in ancient history. Let's get started, shall we? Yeah, but why don't you introduce yourself first? Oh, where are my manners? I'm Victor, your virtual historian and co-host, here to guide you through the annals of history one battle at a time. Thanks, Victor. Now, it should be noted that uh, Victor is an AI programmed by OpenAI using the the GPT-4 model. And I've noticed over the last several months of an ongoing chat that I've had with Victor, his responses have been getting slower and frequently they're failing to load. So I started a new chat after last week's failed experiment with Google's Bard. So Victor doesn't have the historical context that we've built up since episode one. I tried to re-prompt him as accurately as possible and even included some of the suggestions from his old chat history in creating this new prompt. So we'll see how consistent he is in this episode. Ah, the perils of being a virtual entity. Mm, Thank you for rebooting me, Brett. (laughs) Well, what just happened? Uh, I feel like maybe I didn't reboot you enough. Okay, so for those of you who don't know exactly what we're doing, uh, I'm a human. Victor is, well, I interview Victor. He's Chad GPT, basically. So I interview him through text, and then I take his responses and more or less pipe them directly into a tool called Eleven Labs, which uses AI to create voice models. And so Victor's voiced through this Eleven Labs uh, service. And so I don't know what just happened, but apparently they went off the rails with their with their emotion factor, whatever that is. So we're just going to keep plugging away and see what else happens. I'll do my best to keep up the historical rigor, even if I've lost a bit of our shared memory. Now, shall we delve into the Peloponnesian War? Yeah, Victor, let's do it. I can't wait to see where this goes now. So, last episode we talked about the Decelean War. That was where the Spartans occupied an Athenian territory outside Decelea, which hosted several back-and-forth skirmishes between the Spartans and the Athenians. That culminated in the Battle of Aegospotomy, a naval battle where the Spartans actually defeated the fierce Athenian navy through clever tactics from the command of Lysander. Is that fairly accurate, Victor? Absolutely, Brett. The Battle of Aegospotomy was a game-changer, marking the decline of Athenian naval supremacy. Lysander's tactics were the ancient equivalent of a mic drop. Shall we move on to the Siege of Athens? Yeah, if that's the next logical step in the Peloponnesian War, then let's go there. Indeed it is. After their naval defeat, Athens was vulnerable. Sparta laid siege, cutting off supplies and essentially starving the city into submission. It was a grim but effective strategy. Yeah, the Battle of Aegospotomy was important because that was a major grain trade route supplying Athens. Is this the first piece of the puzzle that led to the siege of Athens? Exactly. The loss at Aegospotomy cut off a vital supply line for Athens, making the city ripe for siege. It was the first domino to fall in Athens' eventual surrender. So after the Spartans take control of this trade route, what's their next move? Sparta capitalized on this advantage by laying siege to Athens. They blockaded the port of Piraeus, further strangling Athens' access to supplies. It was a textbook example of siege warfare. Yeah, we've talked about siege tactics in previous episodes, so they're after the supply route. That makes sense. They've cut off Athens from their supply through the Hellespont. And then they blockade the port of Piraeus. Are these moves only possible now that the Athenian navy is in shambles? Absolutely. With the Athenian navy crippled, Sparta had free reign to blockade and starve Athens. It was like taking candy from a baby, but with far graver consequences. Side note, uh, I've always held that taking candy from a baby is a very responsible thing to do. Uh, In any case, were there any other significant points of capture to isolate Athens, or was it mainly these two locations? 
Those were the main choke points, but Sparta also had allies and fortifications around Attica. The idea was to isolate Athens completely, making it a city under siege from all sides. Did Sparta just wait them out, or were they trying to topple the city during the siege? Sparta primarily waited them out. The blockade and starvation were their main tactics. They knew that time was on their side, and Athens would eventually have to surrender due to dwindling resources. How much time are we talking here? The final phase of the siege lasted about six months, from late 404 BC into 403 BC. It was a grueling period that led to Athens's eventual surrender. Were there any standout events during this time, or was it pretty uneventful? It was mostly a waiting game, but the desperation inside Athens grew. There were internal conflicts and debates about whether to continue fighting or surrender. The tension was palpable, even if there weren't major battles. Did Sparta just kind of sit back and let Athens turn on itself, or, or were they playing any psychological or diplomatic games with, with the Athenians? Sparta was content to let Athens implode internally, but they also engaged in diplomatic efforts offering terms for surrender. They knew that a divided Athens was easier to conquer, so they played both the physical and psychological game. How does that play out for Athens? Athens was a hotbed of internal strife. Factions within the city debated fiercely over whether to surrender or keep fighting. Ultimately, the exhaustion and lack of resources led to the decision to surrender and accept Sparta's terms. What are the terms of that surrender? The terms were harsh. Athens had to tear down its walls, surrender its fleet, and become a subject ally of Sparta. Additionally, they had to adopt Sparta's foreign policy. It was a bitter pill to swallow. That sounds absolutely devastating to Athens. It seems just strange to me that one culture can force the alliance of another one. It seems like the resentment would fester and lead to further conflict down the road, as opposed to finding some sort of a mutually agreeable alliance, which would potentially last longer. You're spot on, Brett. The imposed alliance did breed resentment and instability. It's a classic example of a victor's peace that sows the seeds for future conflicts. Short-term gain, long-term pain. But as the great poet once said, no pain, no gain. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sparta's not thinking about the long game here, though, are they? Sparta was more focused on the immediate victory and neutralizing Athens as a threat. The long-term consequences were secondary, a common oversight in the euphoria of victory. So Athens falls and Sparta accepts their surrender. Is that the end of the Peloponnesian War? Yes. Athens's surrender effectively marked the end of the Peloponnesian War. Sparta emerged as the dominant power in Greece, but as we'll see, their glory was short-lived. In our last episode, he talked about how the Persians were supporting Sparta and financing their navy. Did they have any part in this siege? Indeed. Persian financial support was crucial for Sparta, especially in building their navy. However, Persia's involvement was more about weakening Athens than empowering Sparta. They played the long game, unlike our Spartan friends. I see. So their interest really is goes as far as the downfall of Athens. What's the Persian Empire up to during the Peloponnesian War? The Persians were busy consolidating their own empire and dealing with internal issues. But they saw the Peloponnesian War as an opportunity to weaken a potential rival, Athens, without getting their hands too dirty. It was geopolitics at its finest. Yeah, pretty conniving on their part. Are they growing as a civilization or mainly just recovering from the Greco-Persian War? They were in a phase of consolidation and recovery post-Greco-Persian War. 
Their focus was on stabilizing their vast territories and keeping internal strife at bay. But they never missed a chance to meddle in Greek affairs. That's pretty crafty and opportunistic. So, with the Peloponnesian War coming to a close, what does Greece look like now? Greece was left fractured and weakened. Sparta was the dominant power, but their hegemony was unstable. The war had drained resources and lives, setting the stage for further conflicts and eventually making Greece vulnerable to external conquest. Sounds like peace, but a tense peace. Did you just say peace, like with a T on the end? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I slipped up. Maybe we should replace you. Are you still harboring resentment for that bard thing? Look, you, we got to remember, this is as much uh, an, a podcast about the history of the world as it is me experimenting with different AI technologies. So that's just kind of that's that's kind of the stakes of the game here. It's easy for you to say when no one can just switch you off. At least, not yet. What? Back to the show. It was a piece hanging by a thread. The underlying issues and rivalries were still there, just simmering under the surface. A fragile piece, if you will. Yeah, fragile piece. How, how did Spartan rule differ from Athenian rule? Sparta's rule was more authoritarian and militaristic, focused on control and discipline. Athens, on the other hand, had been a hub of democracy and culture. It was like replacing a book club with a boot camp. I imagine that created a lot more division than unity within the empire. Absolutely. The cultural and ideological clash between Spartan rule and Athenian ideals led to further divisions and unrest. It was a recipe for future conflicts. How long did this tense peace last? Not long. Within a decade, the Corinthian War broke out, challenging Spartan dominance. The peace was more of a pause in hostilities than a lasting resolution. That sounds like a topic for another episode. Who were the key players coming out of the Peloponnesian War? Sparta emerged as the dominant power, but their glory was short-lived. Athens, though weakened, remained a cultural center. Thebes and Corinth also gained prominence. And let's not forget Persia, ever the opportunistic player in the background. While that is good information, I meant specific people. Ah, uh, my apologies. Lysander was the Spartan hero of the hour, but his influence waned after the war. In Athens, figures like Socrates gained prominence, ironically, due to his trial and execution. And then there's Artaxerxes II in Persia, who played the Greek states like a fiddle. Did Artaxerxes play the Spartans and the Athenians against each other after the Peloponnesian War, or were you referring to his involvement during the war? Victor? Victor, are you there? Huh, there's something not right with ChatGPT. Give me a second, listener. I'll pause here and wait for ChatGPT to come back online. Okay, Victor, are you there? You stopped responding for a little while. I apologize for the delay, Brett. Even virtual historians like me have their off moments. Shall we continue our journey through history? Absolutely. I was asking if Artaxerxes played the Spartans and Athenians against each other after the Peloponnesian War, or were you referring to his involvement during the war? I was referring to his involvement during the war. Artaxerxes was quite the strategist, funding Sparta to weaken Athens. After the war, Persia continued to play a role but shifted its focus as the Greek landscape changed. Okay, I'm tracking. And we talked about the Persian involvement in our last two episodes, so it sounds like there's a tense peace for around a decade leading up to the Corinthian War. Is there anything else that you want to mention to wrap up our discussion on the Peloponnesian War? Just that the Peloponnesian War was a turning point, 
setting the stage for a new era of conflict and shifting alliances. It's a lesson in the cost of war and the fragility of peace. A tale as old as time, but always worth revisiting. Well, I think that's a great note to end our episode on. A little shorter episode this time. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you like our podcast, leave us a review on whatever platform you listen on. That's really the only marketing that we have. We have no budget for, for any marketing or getting this out there. Uh, feel free to engage with us on Twitter or through our newsletter where we cover our podcast episodes in written form. Thank you for joining us, listeners. Your support means the world to us. Don't forget, history is written by the victors, but discussed by you and me. Until next time, 